story in Numbers 11 about Israel during their 40 years of wilderness wandering. They had already been freed from their slavery in Egypt, but they had not yet entered the Promised Land. And that time of wilderness wandering was difficult and marked by lots of disappointment. So, in order to help Moses, God instructed him to appoint 70 elders. God told Moses, They shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then, something incredible happened. God caused His Spirit to rest on those 70 elders, and they began prophesying. Most of them only seemed to prophesy briefly, but two of them, Eldad and Medad, would not stop. This development was troubling to Joshua, Moses' friend and assistant. Joshua hears about the prophesying elders and begins to plead with Moses to make them stop. Why would Joshua react that way? Moses said it was because Joshua was jealous for Moses' sake. This was a time when God's Spirit would come upon certain people and rest on them, often to commission them for some kind of special task. Joshua, it seems, feared that if the Spirit of God rested on all those elders, what would that mean for Moses? That story highlights how small our view of the Holy Spirit can sometimes be. Joshua, it seems, thought of the Spirit like a commodity that was in limited supply. I'll put the question to you. When you think about the Holy Spirit, what is your dominating thought? Is it some kind of contentious controversy over the Spirit? Is it mystical fascination with the Spirit? Maybe, if you're really honest, it's that you rarely, if ever, think about the Spirit at all. But listen to how Moses responded to Joshua's concern. This is Numbers 11, verse 29. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Several hundred years after Moses gave expression to that desire, God spoke through the prophet Joel and promised that he would do just that. Listen to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. In other words, the desire that Moses expressed in Numbers 11, God effectively says through Joel, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my Spirit on all of my people. Fast forward several hundred more years to the day of Pentecost. Jesus has come and lived a sinless life. He has died on the cross. God has raised him from the dead, and he has ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Just before he ascended, he instructed his followers to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. Now his followers are gathered in Jerusalem, waiting for what he promised, and listen to what happens. This is in Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. 
when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the New Testament has this habit of telling us about events, then explaining those events in detail. It's why the four accounts of the gospel are followed by Acts, then 21 letters, and the book of Revelation. In the case of Pentecost, it's not difficult to imagine why something as strange as a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire and people suddenly speaking in other languages would cause a stir in Jerusalem, as well as some confusion. Most of the rest of Acts 2 is basically a sermon that the Apostle Peter delivered to explain what had just happened. And listen to what he says. This is in Acts 2, verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The promise of the Holy Spirit, Peter said, has been poured out, and this is what you have seen and heard. So here's the point I'm getting at. The Holy Spirit did not suddenly burst onto the scene unannounced in Acts 2. He was anticipated and promised for a long time before Pentecost. And he is pivotal to God's plan of redemption and transformation for the church and for the world. So it matters greatly what we think about the Holy Spirit. I want to give you three reasons why you should care about the Holy Spirit, who He is, and what He does. Three reasons why He should matter to all of us and why you should want to know Him. First, the Holy Spirit is worthy of the honor that is owing to God. Theologian R.A. Torrey put it this way, It is of the highest importance from the standpoint of worship that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is a divine person worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, our love, and our entire surrender to Himself, or whether it is simply an influence emanating from God, or a power or an illumination that God imparts to us. If the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine person, and we do not know Him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the worship and the faith and the love and the surrender to Himself, which are His due. We should care to know the Holy Spirit because He's not just a force or a power or an illumination that comes from God. He is Himself God. He is a divine person, equal and eternal with the Father and the Son. He is worthy, therefore, of all the honor and trust and love that is owing to God. The second reason why we should care about who the Holy Spirit is 
is because he is a blood-bought gift whom God has given to his people. Did you ever see the YouTube video of the boy whose parents wrapped up an avocado and gave it to him as a gift? He opens it up and says, It's an avocado, thanks. And he says it in that way that parents have taught their kids to be polite when they get gifts, but it's obvious he is not excited about getting an avocado. Many of us are in danger of having the same kind of reaction to the Holy Spirit. We, we know he's important because God has said, so we patronize God and say with polite insincerity, it's the Holy Spirit, thanks. But that kind of response fails to do justice to the worth of the Holy Spirit and to the generosity of the Father and of the Son. The Spirit's presence with us was planned for all of eternity and promised for hundreds of years. And the Spirit's presence with God's people was purchased at the cross. He was poured out on God's people only after Christ had finished His work of righteousness and sacrifice and victory over death. And God has given His Spirit to enable us to live during this time after the first coming of Christ and before His second coming. Jesus died to purchase the gift of the Holy Spirit for us. So let's not respond to that gift with polite insincerity. We should respond with genuine gratitude and say to God, Lord, I don't fully understand this gift, but I'm thankful for it because I know that you are wise and good. You would only give me the Spirit if you knew that I needed Him. So Lord, help me to be more thankful for the Spirit. Help me to see all that He means for my life. Help me to surrender all the more to His enabling. Help me to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, bear the fruit of the Spirit. We should care about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does because God has gone to such great lengths to give Him to us. Finally, we should care about the Holy Spirit because He is how God dwells with His people. Before Jesus was crucified, His followers were understandably concerned about Him leaving. But listen to what Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. When I said a moment ago that the Holy Spirit is a blood-bought gift, I didn't mean to imply that the Spirit is inanimate like an avocado. The gift is that through the Spirit, God himself abides with his people. So the Holy Spirit is not a theological principle. He is a divine person who seals and abides with those who trust in Christ. Ignatius Hazim has said, Without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simply an organization. Mission is propaganda. Worship is the summoning of spirits, and Christian action is the morality of slaves. To that, I say amen. And if we could turn that saying around, we might say something like this. 
Because of the Holy Spirit, God is near. Christ is with us always. The gospel is living and active. The church is the body of Christ. Mission is filling the earth with his image. Worship is communion with our living Savior. And Christian action is the joyful calling of those who once were slaves, but have been redeemed and set free. Without the Holy Spirit, we are hopeless and helpless. But with the Holy Spirit, we are God's children, called to glorify Him in all that we say and all that we do. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website. HendersonBaptist.org.